0: Hi, my name is Lai and I'm going to be reading from Micah, chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord, and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O oh mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, let's pray. Father, we ask that you would bless uh, the, the reading as well as the, the, the preaching and the hearing of your word. And uh, Lord, would you, would you make it come alive to us this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, today, as I said, is the last day in our series. DNA, the core of the local church. And so, if you missed one or all of them, I encourage you to go back and listen to them in their entirety, because I think it's it's a good summary of what we truly care about as a church. You know, and we walked through our values, and now we're looking at our mission. Uh, and this mission is is what we do. So it's hyper practical. You know, what we do uh, is based off of who we are. And so the reason you'll see us in worship or in small groups is because of who we are. Likewise, the reason you'll find us serving in schools or in hospitals or in courtrooms or in prisons is because of who we are. It's because we're gospel-centered and multicultural and spirit-led that we adore Christ. And so that and then we apply the gospel and today we're going to look at we act with mercy and justice. And so we believe based off of scripture and and not Karl Marx uh, not because of critical race theory, but the Bible has much to say. That The, the Bible and, and biblical values should produce a heart for social justice. And so th- there are a lot of people who seem to have a lot more to say about social justice these days. Uh, they weren't talking about it earlier, but they're talking about it now. And I just want to say this. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Justice is biblical. <laughs> Like, we're talking about biblical justice, and and in particular, social justice. we will explain those later. But a few weeks back, during our multicultural value, I mentioned that I would touch on the latter part of that value. And so the, the last portion of our multicultural value, as it reads, is, therefore, given what we had talked about in the first part of that, therefore, mosaic is for all people and believes biblical values should produce a heart for social justice. And so biblical values, like true orthodoxy rooted in the good book, like should produce a heart for social justice. And so one of my favorite places that we can see just, you know, God's heart for justice is in Micah 6.8. You know, Micah 6.8 is, it's the heart and summary of the Old Testament. And so that's where we're going to camp out. And I mean, this is This is like a preacher's dream. (laughs) It's already broken down into three parts. It's just so perfectly so. And so it says, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. And that's where we're going to look at this. We're going to act justly, love mercy... And walk humbly now before we dive into this verse, I think we need to see that micah six in its in its context, and so sometimes you'll see this verse on bumper stickers or on t shirts and that's great I, I I love this verse and and because it is a good summary of what God calls us to do. But if we read this verse uh in its without its context, I feel like it's like drinking Folger's coffee I mean technically that's coffee, fine, okay. But there's so much better coffee out there. And reading this verse by itself is fine, but we lose the oomph. We lose the heart behind it. And so when we see in Micah, Micah's name means who is like Yahweh. He's prophesying the same time as Isaiah is. And earlier this summer, we looked at Isaiah 58, and God was saying the same basic message to the people he's saying today, that I don't want your feast. I don't want your empty worship. It's atrocious to me. And that same message is happening here in Micah the people of Israel have had some success. They've gained some wealth, and in times of success, like we all do, we tend to forget God. We tend to think, I don't need God, and it doesn't matter if I cheat somebody, if I lie to them, I steal from them, if I get rich off of them, and so that's that's what's happening right here in Micah. Some in Judah were greedy, powerful businessmen who spent their nights devising schemes of how to get possession of these small farmers' land. And so they were just robbing people of their own land, and they were legally doing it. It was people in power abusing their power. And earlier it says that that they they hated good and loved evil. And so this is the backdrop, like God's people are just living in Lord of the Flies, right? Uh, So the true Lord is coming to his people in a courtroom scene, and he it, and it, and it comes to accuse. He's coming off, and he comes out with some sarcasm. We didn't read this verse, but in verse 3 and 4, it says, My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. Oh, tell me, you poor, poor people, how am I burdening you? And <laughs> the people respond with a more of exasperated response. in Verses 6 through 7, like, like, like gosh, like, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the God, exalted God? What do you want from me is kind of what they're saying. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of the body of the sin of my soul? Like, <laughs> ooh, it is so full of disdain. Like, like will nothing please you? Like what do we have to do? I mean, we said we're sorry. (laughs) Fine, God, you know, just we'll just we'll just give you the year-old calves, or we'll just give you a thousand rams and just rivers of oil. If that's all you want, take it. I mean, there's a clear (laughs) difference between the sacrificial living and trying to buy God off. And what this is is just spiritual spiritual hush money. This is giving God money so that He will stop bothering them. Just like in their worship. Their heart is not in it. They don't want true reconciliation. They just want to appease God. They just want him off their backs. And so it's in this setting that God says to them, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And so God is telling them what is good. What a truly redeemed heart looks like. It, it acts justly, it loves mercy, and it walks humbly. And so let's talk about justice. I mean, a couple of days ago, uh, our, our boys and I were, were playing soccer in our backyard, and I, being like, you know, Ronaldo, uh, kicked the ball with all my might, uh, and I hit Knox's wrist, and, and, and he went screaming, and I felt terrible. Uh, and now he ended up feeling fine, but let, let's say I broke his wrist, what happens? Like, I would be making sure all weekend, are you okay? I am so sorry. I mean, I would want him to know, I didn't mean to hurt you, right? Like, and on the way to the hospital and to get the cast, I'd be going asking, like, how can I make it right? How can I make it right? Let, let's go get ice cream. Like, <laughs> I need to do something to repair the relationship. Like, I need to do reparative work. That's how I should act. That's, that is rectifying justice. I'm trying to make it right. But did you know that when Brian Stevenson freed his client who had been on death row wrongly convicted after spending years in prison, prison, no one in Alabama felt the need to say, I'm sorry? They took his life away, they changed his whole livelihood, and no one felt the need to apologize, nor had they paid him a penny. And that's rooted in this idea that I don't owe anyone for their suffering. I mean, isn't that just sad? Did he get justice? No, he just got set free. No one tried to repair the damage. No one tried to make things right. And the word justice here is the Hebrew term mishpat. Do justice, mishpat, refers to the action of doing what is right toward people, making things right or full or giving someone their due. And so it's justice to punish the guilty. Yes, that's what we can think of justice. But it's also justice to protect those who are being robbed by those greedy landlords here in Micah. It's justice for me to make sure I repair the relationship with my kids. Mishpat is it's just this fuller view of justice. And at its root, it's, it's giving one their due. And all of that is just stemmed from love. It is love to protect those farmers here in Micah, to protect the wrongfully accused. It stems out of love. Like loving our neighbors is not the same as simply not hating them. In the biblical sense, love is not just a lack of hate. I couldn't just say, like, with my relationship with my wife, what, what, honey? I, I don't hate you. Isn't that enough? <laughs> no, that would be the worst relationship in the world. Like, that's not love. No, love acts. It's out of love that God protects the rights of the most vulnerable. God is very pro-life. And I mean that from womb to tomb and everything in between. And so whether that is the single mom, that's the orphan, that's the immigrant, that's the unborn, that's the poor, that's the person of color, that's the elderly, those with special needs. Anyone in society who are due protection and care, God loves and he acts for them. He acts with rectifying and repairing justice. And just as, you, as it says, love your neighbor may be deemed the, the great commandment, Micah 6.8 could be deemed the great requirement. Somebody say great requirement. Just as the great commandment requires us to actively love our neighbors, the great requirement commands us to further the cause of justice. And so, act justly obligates believers to take affirmative steps towards promoting justice. And so, like love, it's more than just a mere lack of injustice. You know, act justly means we're willing to give ourselves for others. I mean, we're not so unlike the people of Israel. We, we, we just want to say something like, well... Well, I didn't force hysterectomies on the immigrants at the border. Okay, good. Don't do that. But also proactively stand up for immigrants, basic imago day. Like true mishpat is proactively rectifying and making things right. Giving people what they're due. Whether that's fighting for true racial equality or access to good health care or good education, God tells his people what he expects is for us to not just think justly, but to act, to get in the arena, not just to post about it, but to be about it. And so to act justly, whether that's individual justice or legal justice or the big term, social justice. And so, as we've seen, justice is a biblical term, and, and social is just a modifier of it. Not, not just what we do individually, but what we do as a society or as a group of people. And now, it's, it's typically at this point, someone might say, is all this focus on the social justice a distraction from the gospel? And so, if we say social justice is a distraction from the gospel, it is to ignore what the New Testament says when it says to go to our neighbor and when our neighbor comes to us and says, and, and says they're hungry, and we say, well, go, be well, be fed, when he's actually in need, then we're not obeying the word of the Lord. We're not living in line with the truth of the gospel. That phrase sound familiar? That's just a continuation of last week's sermon. We're just applying the, the gospel outwardly now. Eric Mason has said, social justice isn't the gospel, but it is an outworking of it. To say, just preach the gospel, thinking that will do justice is a fallacy. And some might say, well, if you talk about those things, you clearly believe the social gospel. And you see what that, that, that's happening right there. We believe the gospel, yes, and we believe in social justice. And there are those who might say that you know, maybe you're conflating those two, and you're making it the social gospel. And I would say very clearly like that I don't know if you understand what the social gospel is. The social gospel is... Let's not talk about individual regeneration. Let's only talk about changing systems and structures. And so the social gospel is what some have turned to when their focus moved completely away from the gospel and completely to focus solely on social issues of the day. And so really there, there's two great errors that, that these Christians are fighting against. You know, One set of Christians is, is only interested in alleviating e- eternal suffering. And this is the, just the preach the gospel crowd. And and when we do this, we're losing any credibility with the people around us about whether we actually care about them or not. But on the flip side, there are other Christians who who, who fail to proclaim the Christ of the gospel of the kingdom while they're treating AIDS victims in suffering. And and this shows that they really just don't believe what the Bible says about fleeing the wrath to come. And so, th- th- there, there is these, these two kind of camps here, but I don't think you have to be in either or of these. Like, we believe you can have a nuanced and balanced approach saying that your greatest need is personal regeneration. Like, without this, nothing matters. But at the same time, we apply the gospel to systems and the structures that are, that are out of accord with the Imago Day. And so, whether we're talking about abortion or systemic racism... We still don't lose sight that that someone's ultimate need is to be saved by grace. And that's why he says, act justly and then love mercy. Like the Hebrew word here that is translated mercy, some translate kindness or faithfulness. And you might say, why is there so many different versions of that same word? Well, it's because no single word can represent this word. It's this collective idea of these positive characteristics of God. And so mercy, compassion, kindness, steadfast love, faithful covenant love. It might be the most important words in all of our Bible. It's the word chesed. Everyone say chesed. Psalm 63 says, because of your chesed is, is better than life, I will praise you. And so God's love towards us is this chesed covenantal love. It, it's, it's his faithfulness to us that, that no matter what we do, he is choosing to love us. And so too many times we love somebody because they love us. But as soon as they're anti-us, we stop loving them. But hesed, love is mercy and compassion. And it's almost as if if these two words that we're talking about here are almost in direct opposition to one another. Like justice says, we give people what they deserve. And mercy says, we don't give them what they deserve give them mercy. And so on one hand, we, we, we want to love good and hate evil. And yet when someone does something that brings pain upon themselves, do we just say, too bad, you made your bed, now just go sleep in it? Or do we extend mercy? I mean, I, th- I think my kids know justice better than anybody. I think their, their favorite phrase is, hey, that's not fair. And, and so they, they instinctually know justice, but it, it's loving mercy in light of justice. That is, this whole new way of living, like giving someone mercy when they've hurt you, sounds impossible unless we go back to our belief in the Imago Dei, that this person is a living picture of God. I mean, that's why Brian Stevenson can fight for prisoners' dignity, especially those wrongly accused, but even those fully deserving of punishment. He works to still treat these inmates as children of God. Like there's a big debate going on whether, whether the most vulnerable are, are those uh, uh, oppressed because of outside forces or because of individual choices they've made. And so is someone poor because of decisions that they made or is it because of what's happened to them? Now, you might think of someone who, who robbed uh, from their company's cash register and, and, then they, and then they chewed out their boss and they were cruel to their, to their coworkers, and they subsequently get fired. And now you'd say, well, okay, they deserved what they got. That's justice. But at the same time, if, if we look at this person's life story, what if they grew up in an environment where you didn't eat unless you stole, that it was survival of the fittest from day one, well, now that we see that, that hurt people hurt people, we can understand what's going on there. And so that we see it's both. They were oppressed, but then they became oppressors too. Again, we don't have to think in binary terms here. It's both. But how do you show mercy towards someone like that? Or how do you have, have the grace and compassion and, and kindness to, to, to do justice? And Micah's answer here is to walk humbly with your God. I've said this before, but let me say it again. You can't love anyone that you think you're better than. If you think you're better or superior to anyone, it is impossible to love them. Otherwise, you'll constantly be frustrated that that they aren't seeing the world the way that you see it. And so it's not until we walk humbly and see ourselves on par with one another that we can love mercy and act justly. And so this last part of this is, is just key to, to this whole command, walking humbly, humbly meaning, meaning seeing myself rightly, not too high, not too low, just, just as God sees me, which, which usually, needs, it usually needs a complete deflation of my pride or my ego, but like, how could I think I'm better than anyone when I look at my own sin? And when, what happens sometimes is when we talk about these issues of justice, when we're talking about right and wrong and just and unjust, we, we can be rightly condemning injustice. And in so doing, it's tempting to think that we're without sin in those moments because these things are so evil. But it's when I see that, that Christ loved me at my worst that I can then love others even when they're at their worst. And since Christ loved me, I, it, when I was unlovable, I can love others when they are nowhere near the heart of God. And it's when I look back at the gospel that though God would have been perfectly just and pouring out his wrath on me, he showed mercy. And instead of giving me what I, I, was, I deserved and what I was due, he gave me what I, was, what I didn't deserve and what I didn't earn. He gave me that hesed love of the Father. I mean, this whole passage works in a backwards way. It's, it's because he delivered me and was gracious to me that it humbles me, which allows me to love mercy. And because I've been shown great mercy, and when I see how merciful God was to me, then I want to act justly for others. Oh, it's such a beautiful passage. I want to stand up for the rights and dignity of my fellow image bearers, all because it. it starts right here. It's at the gospel that I find out a a motor or an engine to work out the gospel implications. And so social justice is not a form of works righteousness. It's seen because Christ cares this much for me, I want to care for those around me. I care for the outsider because I was the outsider. I give mercy because I was shown mercy. (sighs) Some might argue that that at this emphasis on, on acting with mercy and justice is dangerous because it's focusing on what we do and not on what Christ has done. And I, I get the, the caution, but if you say that you're in danger of believing that you're saved on whether you're socially just or not, I want to say, well, of course not. <laughs> we don't believe that. Like, But if your conscience is pricking you, why is that? <laughs> like, This is like saying, I'm not saved because... I'm faithful to my wife, and therefore it doesn't matter whether I'm faithful to my wife. Because saying, be faithful, is a distraction from the gospel. I mean, this is just completely at odds with everything the Old and the New Testament says about sin. Just because your eternal fate is not determined by what you do, but what Christ has done for you, it doesn't mean what we do doesn't matter. What we do does matter. It matters greatly. Be faithful to your wife. I mean, John 15, 14, Jesus says here, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Now, some might say, is Jesus saying doing what he says is a form of earning your standing before God? When in fact, Jesus, who who knows the sole reason he came was to live, die, and rise for sinners? I mean, he's not saying we earn our status before the Lord. He knows why he came. He is saying, if you've been saved... If you've been made alive and joined into union with Christ, then you'll want to do what he commands. Again, all of this is just further application of last week's sermon to apply the gospel. And so we, we, we've given you clear application points so far. We've said adore Christ in worship, Sunday mornings. Apply the gospel in community or in small groups. And today we'll say act with mercy and justice in your city. Now, that sounds more vague than the other ones, but that's because there's just so many outlets to act with mercy and justice. We're going to post a link to to a survey after the sermon to see in in what ways that you personally feel called to act, and we'll give you different outlets for that. Nobody nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. Say that with me. Nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. Now, some of you are already doing something, and some of you are already at work in your vocations and doing this very thing, and I want to say, hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Like, whether you're in the education field caring for children, or in the medical field providing access to basic health care needs, or you're in the legal field protecting humanity's basic rights, like, some of you are doing the work of justice every single day, and we need more of you. Amen. Thank you. We can't say the only Christian work comes about only when the church leads it. Like, absolutely not. Like, the there's a reason a lot of nonprofits exist. It's to further the work of the church. And so thank you. And and if you're already doing the work, please fill out that link as well. And you could help some of us learn how to best act with mercy and justice in some of these areas. But along with that link, we've created an anti-racist action item list that we'll post. uh, and, And there's some good basic things to get involved in there. There's things like supporting the eight can't wait statement. Things things like calling your state representatives, and if you live here in Waco, Texas, we'll give you who those are, make it real simple. Things like getting involved politically in voting. I mean, this is huge. I, mean, I, I think we need to reframe politics. I think too many of us see that as just a nasty byproduct of living in this country, like how we can't talk about politics. But I think the political arena enables Christians to act justly in meaningful ways, like, whether we're caring for foster children or, or supporting fair prison sentences or, or making sure the elder, elderly are taken care of, like, politics provides a form for advocating for our neighbor's well-being and, and pursuing justice. I mean, politics provides Christians with, with an opportunity to, to actively love our neighbors through advocacy, through policymaking, through civic representation— And so I think to refuse to engage in politics is to refuse to take advantage of of a useful tool for God's work. And so the, the challenge of our time here today is that injustice is all around us, but the opportunity is that it doesn't take very much to engage in all of that. There are so many outlets to do this. We have so many outlets for us to engage and act with mercy and justice. And so what does the Lord require of you? What does a genuinely restored life with the Lord look like? It looks like one who's broken over his sin, but overjoyed by the love of a Savior, eager to give mercy and enthusiastic about advocating for justice. And so grace makes you just. Is it making you just? Is it pushing you to love your neighbor. Let's rediscover grace and let's act with mercy and justice. Let's pray.